0: Good morning, you all. It is a beautiful Sunday morning to be spending time here um, together, and I, it's, it's really my joy to be here. I want to start off by thanking you for the ways in which some of you have already begun to participate in the giving tree that's out there. Um, there's an the opportunity for you to share your your resources with people that are here and near and far, and the, in that far category, you can share gifts and needs with people in Belize and Mexico. And I just want to thank you in advance for any ways that you have or are planning on being involved in that. And I just want to say that there's really no gift too small, that God's been using small gifts for a long time. In the Bible, he talks about, he used a little boy's lunch and he used five stones and he used a widow's mite, and he's used a cup of water. So don't limit yourself in what you think you might have to offer. Um, one time, I was giving a talk about generosity and all the things that we have to offer that are in our hand, things that God has made us good at, and things that we have in our pockets. And it was uh, there was a ten-year-old boy in the front row, and he raised his hand and interrupted me. And he said, um, "Do I have to stay any longer? Because I'm not really good at anything, and I don't have anything in my hand." And I said, "You're not good at anything. I'm sure you're good at something." And he's like, "No, I'm not actually good at anything." And I said. No, I really bet you're good at something. I have four sons. He was not intimidating me with his hand raising. And uh, he said, well, I'm good at Xbox. I said, well, then ask God what he could do with your Xbox. And he, that satisfied him enough that he sat through the rest of our conversation. But then I stayed in Mexico. My husband and I have lived for 15 years in Mexico as missionaries. And he went back to his Indiana hometown. A couple weeks after our exchange, he wrote a letter to the Mason, Ohio, back-to-back office... Um, and inside of that letter, he enclosed a cashier's check for $410. He had gone back to his elementary school and hosted an Xbox tournament with a $10 entry fee, and he'd had 41 participates in his um, tournament. And he got some local businesses to donate some prizes, and he wrote me a letter telling me exactly where he wanted that money to go, and he said, I guess God can use your Xbox after all. And so, In a room full of like this, I think about all the ways in which um, our time and talent and treasure can make an impact this holiday season in people around the world. So thank you on behalf of back to back for the ways in which you are doing that. Um, But today, as part of this... Christmas around the world, I want to tell you a little bit about what it has been like to celebrate Christmas in Mexico. I am from Ohio, so I have all the traditions that maybe you all do. I grew up on a lake here in Cincinnati, so I ice skated all the time. My parents graduated from Ohio State, so I grew up making Buckeyes this time of year. And probably my family's favorite tradition, which is as awkward as it sounds, is we Christmas carol which is so fun in the movies, but like in reality, you make people like keep their door open in the middle of winter and listen to you. We are none of us professional singers awkwardly sing, you know, it's, it is so funny, but it is one of our favorite family traditions. And when we moved to Mexico, we continued all of the same traditions. We just layered on top of them some of the Mexican traditions that came with it. And today, um, as we talk about this holiday season and all that God has for us, we're going to use this passage out of the Book of Luke as a framework for that conversation. <clears throat> the first part of this verse in Luke chapter fourteen, verse one, it says that it says, "As it happened, Jesus went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely." So like oftentimes in Jesus's ministry, he finds himself sitting at a meal, at a table. A lot of his stories happen around tables because that's where life happens. I don't know where you spent Thanksgiving, but around a table, we have a chance to listen to each other. We have, a listen, we have a chance to engage. We have a chance to connect. We have a chance <clears throat> to, to be in each other's presence and to get caught up. So because that's why Jesus came is to listen and to engage and to to be with people. He often framed his stories around tables. I don't know what you'll be having on Christmas, but most Americans have things like turkey and ham on Christmas. But in Mexico, they serve things like tamales, which tamales are wrapped in these corn husks. And yes, the first time someone offered me a tamale, I took a bite into the whole thing, which is so a rookie move because you actually take off that corn husk and eat what's inside of it. So Every year after, whatever Mexican I was with who had already heard that would fake like they were going to bite the corn husk and laugh at me, but yes, (laughs) um, that was me. (laughs) But in this particular passage, in Luke chapter 14, there's a couple things going on. The day that they were gathering for this meal was called the Sabbath, and, and the church leaders, the religious people, had all these rules, all the ways that we're supposed to spend the Sabbath, and they had brought Jesus to this meal really as a trap, because by this point in his life, he was beginning to treat the Sabbath with more freedom than they were, and they didn't like it. It made them feel threatened, and so they brought them there, him there to create a trap so they could catch him and expose him as a lawbreaker. And it says in, that, in the original language that the book was written in that they were watching him closely. That verb they use in the Greek means they were watching him with the intent to catch him versus a verb that would mean watching with a sense of curiosity. Do you know the difference between when you're just watching someone out of curiosity and you're watching them with the intent to catch them? I have four teenage sons, so I definitely know that difference. Um, sometimes I look at my sons with uh, curiosity like, really, you're going to eat that entire pizza? Like, does that, act, like, like, I'm curious, can, can you actually consume that whole thing? And then sometimes I look at them with the intent to catch them, so like, do you think you're going to jump off that balcony? Because I'm looking at you right now and you're not going to jump off that balcony, right? Like that, that like, eyes squinted, head tilted, I am watching you because I expect you to do something wrong. They invited Jesus to this meal because they were expecting him to do something wrong. And even knowing that it was a trap, Jesus experienced all this freedom because he was freedom, because he, had, he, he, he lived his life understanding that in, in every moment, every conversation, he had multiple things he was doing at a time. I'm going to tell you a story that is a true story. And uh, it happened, I was here in Cincinnati a number of years ago, speaking at a church down in Mason. And when I was done speaking, they said, just like Drew said in my bio that I lived in Monterey, Mexico, this guy comes up to me afterwards and he's like, Monterey, Mexico, I know that city. I go there on business. How about the next time I'm there, let's exchange cards. And I don't know, like maybe I could take your family out to dinner and you could show me around to your orphanages. And I thought, he missed my bio where it said I had 10 children. So, yeah, totally you can take me out to dinner. (laughs) And... We exchanged cards, but I had a skirt on with no pockets, and I totally lost his card. I remembered meeting him. I remembered his name was Carlos. I remembered he was going to come to Mexico someday, but that is all I remembered. But he le- he kept my card, and four months later, he came into the city. He gave me a call on a Saturday morning to tell me that he was in town, and he'd be done around dinner, and would I be willing to come and meet him um, after his work day, and we could go out to dinner, and then he- we could show him around to the orphanage. And I totally made plans with Carlos. And then I have the phone, and my husband is like, what are you talking about? Carlos who? I'm like... I don't know his last name. Oh, who does he work for? I, I lost his card. So what are we going to actually do? do you, like, I had no questions to any of his answers, and that, that was not okay with him. And uh, meanwhile, as Todd and I, my husband and I, were having this conversation about Carlos, one of the orphanages that we served in had a director whose name was Edgar. And Edgar experienced freedom in God much the same way that God demonstrates in this passage in Luke, that it doesn't matter who is watching, that we can love and be and do as God wills and not worry about what's around us. And he woke up that day, he was the director of a children's home with 50 children, and he woke up that day with not enough money to, to, to serve them food twice that day, which was their typical custom to eat twice on a Saturday. He did have enough money in his petty cash, in his Caja Chico, we call it, to buy brunch, which they ate that Saturday, about 50 kids. But after that meal was over, he had no more money and no more food. He should have called me. Like, that's the whole reason I was a missionary there. I was there for that very reason. If he would have called me and said, hey, we've run out of money and we've run out of food and i got 50 kids i got to feed, I would have happily run him over. A basket full of beans and rice and eggs and oil and tortilla, food I could have gotten in bulk and pretty cheap and that would have sustained them till we could have gotten them better resources. But Edgar was beginning to get afraid that those kids were putting us in a place only God belongs. God is the giver of all good gifts, the Bible teaches us, not people. When you give a gift off of that giving tree, yes, it'll be your hands and your time and your wrapping paper and your effort. But when the recipient receives it, they'll be grateful to God for what it is that you gave them. And he was beginning to be afraid that the kids were, being, were seeing us in that place. So instead of calling us, He just spent the day praying, asking God that he would bring dinner that night. Meanwhile, Todd and I are continuing to have this discussion about Carlos, and he goes, I'm not having you take all the kids, and we're not going down there for something I don't understand what it is. I will go down and meet Carlos. I'll figure out what he's up to and if it's worth all of us coming out. And I said, okay. So he goes down to where um, Edgar had given me an address, and he calls me a little bit later. He said, don't come down. It's not worth it. he said, he's here and he's got a bunch of product and I'm just going to put it in the back of the truck and I'm going to drive it around. And I said, okay. Back at that children's home, it was dinner time. And Edgar called all of those 50 kids back around the table. And they tell me later that when he called them to dinner and nothing smelled very good, it was kind of confusing to them. But he gathered them around the table and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that um, we're going to pray right now and ask God for the dinner that we don't have yet, but I believe we can trust him for it. And the kids thought that was weird, but they were hungry. So they all bowed their heads and they began to pray. And one of the boys at that table was four years old. So I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer time with a four-year-old, but he didn't last very long. About two seconds after they began praying, he raised his hand. And he was like, Tio, which is what you say in Spanish for uncle. Tio, 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 Tio. He was interrupting that meal. That he was calling out to Edgar. He's like, Tio, I was just wondering, we're asking God to bring us dinner. And Edgar was looking for a teachable moment. So he stopped the whole prayer and he's like, yes, Joel, we're asking God to bring us dinner. And Joel's like, what kind of dinner does God bring you? And Edgar goes, I don't have any idea, but we're gonna trust him for it. They, they bow their heads, they continue a prayer, but Joel's little brain was going crazy and he raised his hand a few seconds later and he's like, toot, tu 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 And everybody's like, what? And he's like, um, I bet if he's God, I bet he brings us meat. And Edgar goes, well, we can pray for some meat. That's great because they have a lot of beans and rice in their orphanage. So they close their eyes and somebody begins to pray for some meat. And, and Joel, for the third time, interrupts them all. He's like, tio, 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 tio. what kind of meat do you think God's going to bring us? And Edgar goes, the Bible tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know you're some of his most favorite children. I have no idea what kind of meat he's going to bring us, but let's ask that he does it. So they're all praying. We don't know about this. When Todd calls me to tell me that they had this leftover product, I said, oh, I, I would love to come see what they're doing. He's like, at, he's down here at the meat convention. He works for the John Morrell meat company. And he said he has tons of leftover product that he brought from Dry County um, down here. And he can't go back the other direction across the border. And so it's just going to go to waste. And it's way more than we have room in our deep freezer. I'm just going to stick it in the back of the truck. And he's got some other vendors who are going to give us some of their product too. I'm just going to drive around to the eight children's homes that we serve. Would you call ahead and let them all know I'm on my way with a donation? And I said, sure. So the first children's home I called was Edgar. He's only eight blocks from the convention center. So I pick up the phone. like, Edgar, just call to see if you guys are around tonight. Todd's on his way over with a donation. And he... He goes, yeah, we're around tonight. I said, oh, great. He'll, he'll be right over. And as I'm getting ready to hang up, he said, um, do you know what he's bringing? And I said, I don't really know much about it. I know that um, he's at a meat convention and he wanted me to make sure you have some room in your freezer. And he goes, I got some room in my freezer. And uh, I said, okay, great. Talk to you later. Because I'm thinking I got seven more phone calls to make. So I'm getting ready to hang off the phone. And Edgar, who's a dear friend of mine, he was like, ba bah, 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 I'm sorry to say this, but would you mind finding out exactly what kind of meat it's on its way over? I'm thinking, we are in the orphan business. We are not that picky. If it goes in a freezer, it goes in a child's mouth. Like, but I put my best missionary voice on. I'm like, sure Edgar, I'll get right back to you. So I hang up the phone with Edgar. I pick up the phone, I call Todd. I'm like, hey, I don't know what's going on with Edgar, but he'd like to know exactly what it is you're bringing over to him. And he said, Beth, it's just like, they're trying to attract some restaurant business. The city that we lived in was 6 million people. He's like, it's the most incredible cuts of filet mignon and New York strip and T-bone and sirloin. And he's like, I don't even know, the know how to fix it, but I'm on my way over with it. And I'm like, okay. So I hang up with my tie and I'm like, hey, Edgar, Um it's like this like, grade A, USDA, all the letters you want with your meat. Incredible cuts of filet mignon and New York strip and T-bone and sirloin. I just want to know, do you got room in your freezer for any of that? And at that point, he tells me what had been going on in his orphanage for almost an hour at that point. And then he pulls the phone away from his mouth and he yells to the kids, hey kids, God's on his way over with your steak. (laughs) (laughs) And and I love that story for two reasons. One, man, I love, I think God has a big plan in store for that little boy that he decided to teach him at age four, that the Bible teaches it takes the faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. That it's not designed on anything we bring to the table. Man, we get that confused. We think it's about who we are and what we say and what we do and what we have and what we believe. And that's not the way that God set this whole thing up. You can't get any faith smaller than a four-year-old orphan. It's like literally the smallest measure of faith you can get. But God decided to do big things through a small child who trusted in him. And that is a good lesson for us today. But I also love that story because I am not like Edgar. I don't like to get my back up against the wall. When I find myself with my back up against the wall, my first temptation is often to call out to man. And what happens when you call out to man? You get things like beans and rice and eggs and oil and tortilla, which feels like it fills you up. But the truth of the matter is it's pretty cheap. That God is telling us from the very beginning, trust me in this. I see you. I know every one of your needs. You, in, invite me to the table. You have no idea what I want to do. I, I am for you. I am with you. I hear you. I see you. There's freedom and confidence in that kind of faith. It goes on in that passage to say, Behold, there was a man before them who had dropsy, Dropsy is just um, a description of water in the face. It's a, it's a disease that means that some you could see it right away when someone had dropsy because they were very bloated in the face. And here is the trap that they set before him. They wondered if Jesus, the healer, could sit at a table with someone who so totally needed his touch... And then break a law that they thought you weren't supposed to do things like heal on the Sabbath. And so if he healed this person on the Sabbath, then he was breaking the law. And if he didn't heal somebody on the Sabbath, then he was heartless. And they were waiting to see what God was going to do. But I tell you, God sees so much more than just what we see with our eyes. Yes, that person at the table absolutely needed touch because he had a disease. But, he, but God was looking at the Pharisees who needed a touch from him as well, who were feeling bound and, and, and um, confused probably by what they had been taught. And he wanted to do more than just heal the man with dropsy. He wanted to free the people who were bound by, that, their, by their thinking. I don't know if you've ever seen um, someone that needed physical healing and you've wondered what you're supposed to do In my work with orphaned and vulnerable children, I often see the kinds of scars not naked to the, not visible by the eye, the kinds of wounds that go down deep. And I believe that God wants to invite us, involve us in stories of healing, sometimes physical healing and oftentimes in emotional healing. We adopted a son several years ago who was a teenager and we Um, didn't know exactly when he was going to come home during the two year process, but as it happened to be, he came home 30 days before we had an already scheduled family vacation. So it's not really a good idea to take a teenager who's new to the country to a place where you have no predictable routine and no lifelines, but off we went to Colorado and, uh, the week went much better than I thought it would, except for the very last night. We were playing a Monopoly game as a family, and his brothers were trading properties and taxing each other and making trades and all the things you do in Monopoly. And they began to laugh with each other, and he misunderstood something and thought they were laughing at him. And it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, and he started getting upset and then crying. And I excused him from the table. I knew he was overstimulated. He was overwhelmed. Overtired. I took him down into his room and uh, basically tucked him in and said, Good night, tomorrow's a new day. And I was sure he was going to fall asleep like that, but not my best mom moment. He didn't. And about an hour later, one of my sons came up and he's like, Hey, you know Tyler's down there still crying, don't you? I was like, Oh man, I did not know that. I went down there, and when we start crying about one incident and we allow ourselves, this is why so many of us don't want to cry because what can happen is as that heart begins to express what he has held in reserve, he started, you know, crying about Park Place, but over not very many minutes, he began to grieve all kinds of things about his story and his transition. And I, I, there's no way I could fix it by telling him, next time you can buy hotels, I promise. You know, this, this was going to be solved. Um, this wasn't going to be solved. This was just going to be comforted. And God wanted to partner with me in offering comfort to him. So I just sat there with him and said things that I knew to be true, like we love you and we came for you and we're not going anywhere and I I love you we're here finally he calmed down and he fell asleep and the next day we were flying back to Cincinnati my husband circled everybody up and he said "Um, what, what was your favorite moment of the week and all the rest of my children named the kinds of things that cost us money to do And everyone was waiting to see what Tyler would say because everything was new to him that week. Climbed his first mountain, fished out of his first river, rode his first horse. Like, what was gonna be your big moment? And when it was his turn, what was your favorite moment of the week? He's like, oh, by far my favorite moment of the week is when mom told me last night how much she loved me. And I realized in that moment, my gosh, We learn those kinds of things about people when we sit with them and engage with them and listen to them and connect them and follow this example that Jesus sets in this mealtime. We hear and can exchange and express the heart of God with and through other people. And as Jesus puts his finger on this very conflict, this very trap and says, do you think it's lawful if I heal on the Sabbath? Do you think it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He, he, he's exposing their thinking because, again, if they say, yes, it's lawful, then they look like they're, you know, breaking the law. And no, it's not lawful. They look like they're heartless. And everybody knew they couldn't heal anybody anyway. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was just thinking about, is, like, is there a way, is there a time sometime when you've ever wondered, like, what's the right thing to do here? Not like this is the right thing to do and I just don't want to do it. Not that kind of torn. I know what that feels like. But like, have you ever been in a situation where like these Pharisees were, where they're, I mean, I don't think their intention was very good, but I do think they found themselves in a quandary. Like what way is right? Have you ever been confused in those kinds of ways? And so I was trying to think of an example and the example I came up with is actually pretty personal, but I'm sharing it with you today because I want it to, I want you to remember it and I'm pretty sure you will. I want you to remember that when you find yourself without a clear path through relational conflict, through circumstantial confusion, through any of those things that always the way through, the path, the Jesus way is love. So my daughter was a, um, when we were living in Mexico, my daughter was a national gymnast, which if you've ever had a child that's participated in a sport at a high level, it's like all consuming. So I would drive Emma to gymnastics in the afternoon and our routine was every night my husband would pick her up in the evening and bring her back. And there was a group of kind of team moms that were very into their daughters and their gymnastics career and I was a little bit on the outside of that circle because one, I had, you know, a full-time job as a missionary and two, I was a foreigner. I was just a little bit different than them. And on the outside of that social environment, I found myself befriending another woman who also was kind of on the outside. She was pushed out because she was extraordinarily beautiful. She was a model in our city, and her, her image was on many of the billboards, and that was kind of intimidating to some of those women. So they pushed her out, and we became friends there on the outskirts. And my husband came home one night from picking up my daughter, and he said, Hey, your friend, she's saying some things to me that just don't sound right. They're kind of inappropriate. I think she's like into me or something. And I was like, she's definitely not into you. I promise you. <laughs> he was a little offended by how quickly I came to that conclusion. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think, I think some things are getting lost in translation. He, she's not, definitely not into you. He's like, okay, well, I'm just registering to you that I'm kind of uncomfortable. A few weeks later, it was Valentine's Day and he came home and he said, She gave me a Valentine's Day card. I'm like, in Mexico, we call Valentine's Day the day of friendship and love. I'm like, she doesn't have any friends. You're like her friend. She just made you a friendly card. He's like, I don't know. This does not feel right. I'm just, I'm keeping you abreast of the situation. This does not feel okay. And I'm like, she's definitely not into you, I promise. Then a few weeks after that, she had... um, Learned his patterns and he basically most nights went early before he picked up Emma and went to a local hardware store to pick up whatever an orphanage might have needed that day. She followed him into that parking lot of that um, hardware store, got out of the car and made it very clear to him exactly what she was interested in and what she had on underneath her jacket. And so that man got in his car, drove as fast as he could home, totally forgot my daughter at the gym, (laughs) got, got into the house, told me what had happened. And I was just sitting there with this like conundrum. Like, what's the right thing to do? Should we say something? Should we not say something? Should it just be me? Should it be us together? Should it just be him? Like, like, what's the, what, what do I do? Not like, I know this is the right way, but I'm not sure if I have it in me to do it. No, I, just, I honestly didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure. The way, always, the way through stories like that is the way of love. So as we sat there for a moment in conversation together, I said, I think we need to go talk to her together. And he got really quiet. He's like, together? And I said, yes. And he's like, you want to go? And I said, mm-hmm. And he said, you want to go? Um, are, are you, are you going to hit her? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not going to hit her. So we pull up to the gym and she saw us get out of the car together. And she was immediately filled with an expression of humiliation. And I walked up to her and I knew that I knew that I knew that my response to her needed to be in love. And I just said to her, listen, I know what a shiny apple you are. I know that what you were offering him physically would have been amazing. But what he and I experience within within the covenant of marriage is much more than physical. When God puts two people together as one, he does it spiritually, he does it emotionally. It is this other kind of experience that no matter what you look like or what you are offering, it would never ever hold a candle to that. I'm like, do you understand what I'm talking about when I say we have a spiritual connection, we have a spiritual bond. This is something that God has done. She's like, she just said nothing. She's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And as I, I thought for a minute, like she doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I only have one option right here and that's to share with her this good news that Jesus came on this season to give us. Like I needed to share the good news of the gospel with someone who I should have been offended by. I should have, I should have wanted to reject. The, the God way is to accept the invitation for the person who's setting for you a trap. Like this, this is what this looks like. This God thing that looks like. It turns out Jesus takes that man who has dropsy, he heals him, and lets him go. No hocus pocus, no crazy ceremony. When God decides to heal someone, He does it just as beautifully. He He, he touches them inside and out. We don't know what the man with dropsy went off and did. I hope he went off and told everybody about somebody who he had been used as bait to hurt, and instead had decided to heal and bless everybody who was watching. God looks at the individual. He always has more than one thing going on at a time. He was not just thinking about the guy with dropsy. He was also thinking about those Pharisees. He's all thinking about the rest of us who would hear about this story. This is how he tells his good, good stories. The, those women that were in that video came every year to Monterey to give Christmas gifts to the children that we serve. And I would send to them individual requests from the kids and they would shop. And then I always would tell them around Christmas time, like 15 more kids would show up. So let's buy some gifts that would be good for girls ages 10 to 12 and good for boys ages two to four so that we can have some extra gifts at the end in order to do that. So they came and we got our list and we checked them twice and we call out the name and what they wanted and make sure the the gift matched, and then we'd wrap it up and we were getting all excited. And then it was time to go through the list of the kids who had arrived since I had sent the request to Cincinnati and we were gonna just do the best we can with a table of leftover gifts to make those matches. And the first gift that somebody wanted was a Barbie backpack. And someone's like, oh, my gosh, we actually have a Barbie backpack. That's perfect. I'm like, great. So we wrapped that thing up, stuck it to the side. The next gift that somebody wanted was a Justin Bieber, like, T-shirt. There was a Justin Bieber T-shirt. And we were starting to kind of, there were just a few of us working on that little project, and we started making some noise because we were getting like, oh, my gosh, there's like a... Uh, uh, dump truck with big wheels. And like, as people were asking for things, we we were realizing we actually had the gift the kids wanted, even though we didn't know in advance that they wanted. And the louder we got and the more excited we got, the more attention we attracted from the rest of the team. We're getting to the end of the list. And Jesus and I are having a private conversation. I'm telling him, this is incredible. Like 10 out of the 15 gifts, this is crazy. If we get to the end and we don't have everything we need, You and I can go to Walmart. I will still give you all the credit in the world. This is, and I was kind of practicing in the back of my mind, like how I was going to frame it to the women. Like God is the giver of all good gifts, including the money he's going to use to buy the rest of what we need. And, and, um, we get to the very last gift and I was just like, Oh Jesus in heaven. Do I even look at the table and make up the gift so that it matches something I see over there? I'm just telling you. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't, I read the kid's name and then he asked for a hot wheel track. And my heart sank because we already knew everything on that table, and I knew there wasn't a Hot Wheel track on it. And I was like, all winding up, like, no worries, guys, here's what we're gonna do. This is how we're gonna make this happen. And this woman started sobbing. And I was like, listen, it's okay, God is still so good, it's all good. She's like, no, wait a second. She goes into the dorm room and comes out and tells us this story. She has an adult daughter who has a brain injury and she said, I don't usually take her on errands, but this day I didn't have any choice and I was shopping at the toy store for all the things that you had sent me and she got latched onto this box and I knew nobody on my list wanted it and it was too big for me to bring to Mexico, but it was actually easier to buy what she had in her hand than it was for me to convince her at that store that we shouldn't do it. So I went ahead and bought this big box of Hot Wheels track and the day it was time to pack, she was like, mom, why don't you have the track in your, ba- in your suitcase? And it, instead of disappointing her, I stuck this Hot Wheel track in my suitcase. And I was embarrassed when I got here to pull it out because it's so big and nobody asked for it. So I've been leaving it in my suitcase. I was just going to sneak it to you on the last day. And then she pulls out this Hot Wheel track and everybody erupts. I thought to myself, this is how God works. He looks at individual needs. He hears the cries of children in orphanages in Mexico. He hears the cries, silent or loud, of us here in, in Cincinnati. He, he sees and knows and cares and is moving on our behalf. Fifteen years ago, I um, was in a uh, circle time. With a bunch of junior high kids from springdale and i was telling them about this verse in the bible that tells about how we should take care of orphans and there was a little girl sitting in that in that circle that was 13 years old i wouldn't see her again until last year she came to the back-to-back 20th anniversary and she said to me do you remember me which i didn't she was 13 years old and she looked a lot different 15 years later she's like i heard this teaching from you on james 1:27 about taking care of widows and orphans in their distress she's like i was just thinking to myself I wanted to tell you that I had made a decision all those years ago that I was going to live differently because of what I had seen. She said, my husband and I now live in Hamilton County and we foster medically fragile infants. And then she opens up her jacket and there's this tiny impossibly little baby there. And she said, I just want you to know that a decision I made then has impacted my life today. And I I told everybody the rest of the night about her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I met this lady and she fosters medically fragile infants. And I cannot believe that God tells stories that go over the span of time. And I was, I was like all worked up and then I didn't see her for another year. And then I just saw her last month. And I, my first question to her was how many babies have you had this year? And she said, oh, actually we've just had that same one you saw me with. In fact, we've prepared most of this year for her adoption. I said, oh, that's beautiful. She said, yeah, but then a couple months ago, her mom began to turn her life around and the county put in place a reunification plan. And so she actually is going to go home full time with her mom next week. And I said, how are you doing with that? Because that's another situation where you don't know what's right. Like, what should we feel? Like, what's, like, that's confusing. She said, well, at first I was really disappointed because I thought to myself that my mission was this baby and in the absence of this baby, I was without a mission. But then I spent some time with God, and I asked him what it is that he wanted for me in it, how he felt about it, what was next for me in it. And I could feel inside of me my heart grow, not just for this baby, but for this mom. So I began to send her encouraging texts and give her advice and tell her I cared about her and listen to her. And she asked me this last week if I'd be the goddaughter of this little baby, and The Bible teaches us in John 3.16 that He loves this world so much He sent this baby to us so He would die on a cross. I think to myself, what a good, so lover this God is. He so loved a woman in Hamilton County in 2018 that 15 years ago He planted the seed in the heart of a 13-year-old girl that when it came time to express love that she would know the way through this story would be love that she would be a living example of God's love to this woman in Hamilton County. The end of the story in Luke, Jesus would say, do you like your animals? If one of your animals fell down on this Sabbath day, would you help them up out of a ditch? If you like your animals and you'd help them out of a ditch, how much more will we love people who are made in God's image? This is, God is looking at all of us this holiday season. The invitation is for us to invite people to our table whether we eat tamales with them or we eat turkey, whether we awkwardly stand at their door with the the door open and we sing to them off-key, like however it is, whether you do it through the giving tree, whether you extend yourself to your neighbor, however it is, whatever your traditions look like, that you can express God's heart to the people that are in your life. We are invited to do so this holiday season. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you tell good stories in and through us. Thank you that you hear things even when we feel like our faith isn't big enough to get your attention. Thank you that you told us and set that example through Edgar from the very beginning. It's just dependent on you. So we, we hear you today. We're stirred by you. We're curious about you. We're listening to you, Lord. Would you reach out to us and through us in the weeks to come? And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Beth, for sharing with us today. I think it was always a, an adventure to hear some of your stories and <laughs> just to hear the way that connects to the way that God works. Um, you know, as you're sitting here this morning, I know one of the things that was on my heart was it, it is possible that you have a Hot Wheels track. <laughs> maybe, maybe literally, maybe figuratively. Maybe it's something that you've been given or maybe it's something you have to give. And it might be something that God is laying on your heart even now that I would just encourage you Say yes to that thing. If you're hearing him speaking to your heart, if you're wondering if that might be him speaking and you're not sure what that sounds like, you know, ask somebody else. Try talking to him a little bit more and be willing to say yes to that because it's incredible to see the way that he works through even those small things as Beth shared. You know, One of the things that we really enjoy this time of year here at Horizon is our Christmas Eve service that we get to celebrate together. And so one of the things that I want to make sure you know about today is that it is time to pick up tickets for the Christmas Eve service. Those tickets are complimentary, but we do ask you to pick those up so that we can make sure we have enough room for everybody to come and celebrate together. God, (laughs) coming as something small and a baby that we celebrate at this time of year. So there are nine identical services, and on that week, there will be no Saturday service, but we'll have Christmas Eve services on Sunday the 23rd at 9, 10, and 11, and then on Christmas Eve the 24th, at two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So you don't have to come to all nine, but you might pick one of those that is good for you, good for your family. Um, And children get to come to that too. Childcare goes up to pre-K, but kindergarten and up uh, can also take a ticket and join you right here uh, in the chapel to celebrate Christmas Eve together. If you have any other questions about that or if you wanna pick up those tickets, It is just out this door, and then to the left, to the rear of the atrium, there's a table there where you can ask questions, get your tickets, and plan to join us again on Christmas Eve. Thank you for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.